Hi, and welcome back to this week's episode of Mastering Agility, a podcast series with and for inspiring agilists, bringing you the best of the business. This podcast series is brought to you by agilitymasters.com, providing you with all the agile coaches and scrum masters you need. Make sure to go to the website to subscribe to the newsletter in order to stay up to date with the latest information when it comes to this podcast. Guys, let me ask you a question. When you're building your product, how do you guys know whether you're on the right track of achieving your goals? I mean, agile organizations know that frequent inspection of results will limit risk and improve the ability to deliver value. But how do you do that? Do you just sit back and relax and see what happens? Or do you try to gather quantitative data that tells us where we can improve the product? And what measure measurements do you use? What metrics do you use? One of those things that can help you guide into the right direction is the evidence-based management framework made by Scrum.org. And to talk to us about that is Patricia Kong. Patricia Kong, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. What's going on? <laughs> uh, thanks, Inder. So, um, well, I think we're still uh, locked in. That would be what's going on, what I think about. But uh, I've definitely had had a busy uh, year, and I'm, I'm very lucky to, to have uh, people close to me uh, and myself healthy. So that's what's going on. How did the, um, the entire pandemic and being locked in, how did it affect you and your, your work for Scrum.org? You know, and that's a really good question. The, um, I think, I think it helped us almost focus more, right? So, when we were when when all of this was kind of coming, we have to say something is coming. We have to think about what that means in terms of how we are going to operate as an organization, right? Because we're we're in training um, and we're a community based organization. So, what does that mean? And then I think for myself, um, well, also with the organization, we have to say you know, we have that sort of crisis and different goals there now. What are the other things that we need to really focus on? And so what that um, allowed me to do was spend a lot more time exploring. So, you know, that we've been working on the um, evidence-based management framework, but really exploring how to, how to share those things um, with the public and with the community and how that, how we would be able to navigate getting something essentially to market without being able to do live training and live events and those sort of things. So on the contrary, I have been doing a lot of virtual events. I've been doing a lot of podcasts, a lot of um, virtual sessions. My eyes are really bad. I'm staring at screens all the time. Um, but I think a positive thing is that I've been writing more. Um, I don't usually, I don't blog publicly because I don't, I don't really, I don't really know if people care to hear what I have to say, but, uh, and I, it's, it's hard for me to write it down, but um, I have been writing more. And then the other thing that I did during this pandemic was I picked up a coach because I was going crazy. So I had to figure out, I thought it was a good time to say, you know what, how do we start to sort through some of these things um, for myself professionally and personally? Is that a, a, a personal or professional coach? And what? Both, yes. Because I, I think um, you're probably not the only one, myself included, uh, who are completely going mental over this <laughs> stupid pandemic and being locked in. What's for you the upside of having a coach? What what has been have been the effects for you? 
um, I didn't kill my husband. Um, the would you the, would you have killed him otherwise? <laughs> I don't know. The um, I think it's really it's really this. Um, you know, for me, and I have a, a coactive coach, but um, for me, it's 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 this notion, especially when you're locked in. You always think about what can I do next? What can I do? What, what should I be doing? I have this idea. I need to do something about it. And I have a reactive personality, right? So the, um, the, the coaching has really asked me to think about pulling that apart a little bit and giving myself a little space to, to just think about being and think about what does that mean? And so in the U.S., besides the pandemic, we've had a lot of... Um, a lot of other uprisings. And I think that has also said, how do you participate in that, you know, in those kind of, I don't know, I don't want to say revolutions, but how do you participate in those movements mean, meaningfully? How do you participate in all these? How do you deal with family? How do you deal with all these things? You really kind of um, have to balance out your emotions, right? I think everybody had a little bit of low level depression. Um, and you know, even outside of the pandemic, I certainly had a lot of other things going on in my family. So it's just, there's a lot of pressure and how do you just take, turn that down a notch and try to use it for positive with kind of what I've been, been working on. And it's, it's, it's helped me think more clearly. I think, I think so. <laughs> you think so? You're not sure yet? Yeah. I'm not sure yet. Uh, what made it for you? What enabled you to to think more clear? What is it? What what has been the biggest takeaway of this entire situation? You know what? If if anything, um, from a work perspective, and this is going to sound contrary to a lot of other people, parents who have 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 small children running around, and all of us um, have different situations, and you know, I have things going on um, again in my family, but like like Sandra, you have little kids running around, but for me what it did was it I can only describe it as it for work it gave me space because we became very focused and it, and and I was working on focusing for myself it just allowed me to have space to think about things a little bit more in a, a more meaningful way and how we can apply you know things like EBM to work right so for instance when we think about what's happening what was happening with organizations at the beginning Right. And the, and the amount that people lost business, their business. Right. Um, or have completely lost their business in, in total. The thing is, is that organizations and people were going through, how do I invest myself? How do I invest my time? How do I reinvest my money? What am I doing? And this is about time. This is about money. This is about energy. How am I investing those things? So for us, that made a lot of sense for something like evidence-based management, right? For the framework that we're talking about, because it says when you are looking at what you are doing as an organization, what you consider to be value, how are you truly investing in that, right? And for me as a person, it's how am I truly investing in what makes me, you know, like a portfolio of myself? How am I thinking and balancing and working out those things? I also... Like I was telling you before, I've been preparing for the zombie apocalypse since it started. So I was like trying to get really fit just in case 
<laughs> just in case I had to fight zombies for something, get a baseball bat. That's, that's, that's another thing. I think that um, physical health has, for me has been um, important and helpful to, to invest my time into. Then I can recommend reading the Zombie Scrum Survival Guide to help you <laughs> overcome that. A little plug there for them. Yes, the Liberators. That's great. They've been a guest uh, a couple of shows ago. Really nice guys. Um, they are. Why is evidence-based management so important to you? I mean, you've been, you've written the Nexus guide as well. You've created the framework. Uh, you're speaking about these kind of things everywhere. Why is evidence-based management so important to you? Um, that's a good question. So, as a as a framework, fundamentally, when you think about evidence-based management. I think when we think about the world that we work in and how, for instance, with the pandemic and all these things, what we know to be true today may not be true tomorrow. So we truly are in complex situations. Organizations, their businesses are complex. And so if we recognize this as Agilist, then we say, all right, well, what does that mean? That means that we have to think about three things that can support that. And for me, um, it's been really thinking about this notion of goals, measurements, and behavior. And how do now we think about that as a system? So how do those things relate together? Because a lot of the times, you know, people were coming before really excited about a metrics conversation. And then you have to go, okay, but when you do that, what happens to the people who are actually applying those metrics or telling people they need to be deemed by this as success? Or the people who are, you know, the ones that that's, that, that that's how they, you know, they, they, they deem themselves successful or not to management, right? And then you add this notion of goals, which is, well, how do we actually know what we're, we're working towards? So how do you make that relationship between, for instance, goals and measures? But I don't think those three things have existed like that together to say, you need to think about these three things. So, okay, if you think about these three things together, goals, measurements, and behavior, and how those things relate to each other, then you have to go, hey, that's a really great way to look at the value, the values of an organization. So I think this notion of values and how this, this, this system of how people work together is really interesting. But fundamentally, when you know Ken Traber was creating and working um, on you know, kind of what was EBM then, for him it was really saying, hey, if you guys are trying to think about value, let's make sure that we are we are treating the IT organization and the stuff that we create from a value perspective versus a cost perspective. EBM says, let's look at the four areas, key value areas of current value, where you are now, unrealized value, where you uh, where you could be, right? So that's market capabilities, those two things, and then your organizational capability. So can you actually do those things, your ability to innovate time to market? And the thing that um, is important there is how do we look at those holistically? And that was an important information that we wanted to get out because um, there are still organizations and still tool companies that just stick onto the time to market metrics and the, and the ability to innovate metrics and say, this is how we know if you're successful or not. And we would go, you might be really, really successful and able to have a really fast engine, but it, what are you doing with it? Why do you want to do that? So there's, there's just a, a little bit of misinformation. And I think that there's still, for me, a better way of working when I think of, of all those things um, together. And just to, I think it's super important now, more than, more than 
I think we're getting a lot of um, questions around it. And I think it's because everybody is starting to be more rigorous about how they're investing, why they're investing, how they're managing their work. But then also because of um, this whole agile transformation thing for me is almost going in the past. Like it's, it's, it's not really this, this thing. Like why are we trying to be agile is becoming uh, more relevant than just like, we need an agile transformation now. Yeah. It's more becoming standard. Hey, before moving on, um, you mentioned a couple of things and I, what I meant, uh, what I noticed in practice is that terminology can be quite confusing. You've mentioned a, a couple of terms: success, value, and values. What's the difference between value and values, and what's the difference between success and those two? What's the difference between success and uh, what do I mean by success? Yeah, what do you mean by success? What do you mean by value? What's the difference between those? You have the Scrum values. How is that related to yeah. product value? Uh, I think that, um, I think that those are really big questions. So success, I use that word when someone says things that they're successful, they think that they've done it. Right. So usually what we say is we think about, you have a goal and that's been specific and measurable. If you've achieved it, you're successful. The way that I used it before, when I talked about, um, you need to deem if you've been successful as a team. That's what gets wishy-washy. That's when they say, oh, your velocity has been this high and it's only getting higher. You are a successful team. And so that question of what people think success is or how they determine success is super important. And that's, um, that's actually something cool that you pointed out because it's, it's not just a characteristic, I would say. I think it's really about making sure that success is tied back to a goal. And I think that that's a subtle thing around behavior where you can say, do we feel successful or not? Right. Because if we say, because when say, when people go here, are all the check marks that we have to tick off, you can tick those all off, but that doesn't mean you're successful. Um, what do you think about that? I think it's really important to understand what that means and not necessarily for, for us in this conversation, but in general too. Like when you're working in the Scrum team or with any other framework, um, we want to celebrate success too. What does ce celebrating success mean? What does success look like? Uh, to me, it means the achievement of certain goals. Just having a high level of output is not a goal in itself. It, it's uh, it's a means to an end. To have specific yeah. output to, rea to realize an outcome and the achievement of this outcome and having specific impact that to me is a certain success given that it's done within uh, an acceptable time frame and within acceptable um, a financial position as well like if, if you're going to do something that in three years that you should have done in two months the terminal uh, the term success becomes a little bit more fluent but to be in in at least aligned what we see as success is um, and what we see as value is critical in moving along and having use for the framework itself. Yeah. So you brought up uh, some terms. So output is um, output, something that we create outcome is something that actually uh, represents a change in behavior and what a customer or a user or somebody wants. Right. And then impact, we've been thinking about this notion of societal impact. Uh, so there's business impact, 
a company, you know, company impact and how much money they make, et cetera. But there's also um, societal impact. And I think that now there, there's different layers of success, success in what you're learning. So what's interesting is if, you know, you, you may have had a goal, you didn't achieve it, but if you learn something for a team, depending on where they are and what they're trying to achieve, what experiment they're running, um, they may think that that was, they may consider that to be a success. It may be, for instance, that somebody is trying to, um, you know, run 5k or run 10k and they don't hit it, but maybe something, they learned something else along the way, or there was, they've reached another point or they're trying to lose five kilos, 10 kilos. They didn't lose. They didn't get down to that number they wanted, but all these other things, positive things have happened. Maybe that's success. So, uh, um, it's, it's very, very, very layered. The other thing you asked was about value. And, uh, I like playing with that word, right? Because it is about, you know, company value, product value, what value is this contributing back to the organization and to the customers? And then there's values, what you value um, as a person, what you value as a team. Obviously, Scrum has uh, the five values. um, And what is binding of teams and people and friends is usually you can see that in the values that they hold. So if we value the same things, we may have more chemistry. Um, the, 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 the example that I was giving in that structure of asking people to think about goals, measures, and behaviors. And you can usually see an organization's values, not what their mission statement is saying that they've crafted with a very expensive consulting company, but you can usually see what they really value when you look at that, connection or lack of connection between goals, measures, and behaviors. Specifically, what are their goals? What are their measures? How does that affect people? Are they thinking about that? Um, And that's why, for instance, I love working um, at Scrum.org for a mission-based company. What's the mission of Scrum.org? It used to be helping um, improve the profession of software delivery. I very much believe in the um, improvement of professionalism, this notion of professionalism. I think that's really interesting and how it transfers through the times and the decades, even for instance, since you and I are probably students to now, how that's changed, what the cut, the type of companies we want to work for. And um, now we're really focused on the notion of helping uh, teams solve complex problems. So this, you know, everything's getting more complex. How do we, how do we think about teams in those situations? Because they are the ones we can agree that are creating value. Then how is, how do you as Scrum or um, try to help them with evidence-based management? I mean, how are these four areas going to help them? I've seen organizations try to think of OKRs and KPIs and these kind of things. Now, how are these four values distinguished from, for instance, OKRs, and how are they going to help organizations? Yeah, we have the four key value areas. So, um, in the, uh, I'll start it this way. We used to just talk about these four key value areas, and so people started to think very much of EBM as a metrics framework. And for instance. When you think about that um, uh, build, measure, learn cycle, unless it's in that sort of cycle, which is what I found, 
people were like, oh, I measured something. And you're like, okay, what did you do? And they're like, oh, I don't know. What do I do now? And we're saying, well, it's evidence-based management, right? So if you're thinking about this information that you learn from those four key value areas, how do you do something with that? How do you make a decision? How do you manage when you think about your environment now that you have more information, taking a little bit more of a holistic view? And so what we said, hey, you need to add it. We need to add in something that will help organizations with continuous improvement or this notion of improvement, this notion of empiricism. And so you have um, the, the goals that we've added into the EBM guide. And we talk about goals in different layers. So you talk about a strategic goal, an intermediate goal, something before you can hit that, and then a tactical goal. And when we think about teams, it's, it's about saying you may have, and for instance, this really drives well with the product goal that was added to the Scrum Guide, right? So that's really an intermediate goal. And it's really, it's really there to help organizations and teams have alignment and focus, but really to nurture empiricism. So it's not going, here's a goal, here are all the things you, you, you need to do to hit it. It's saying, here's a goal, what are the experiments and the steps we need to take to hit it? Because that goal may not be correct. So how do we learn along the way and think about the different areas of value that, that can be hit? The, the, the reason that the key value areas are important for me when I think about teams is because it's trying to stop the um, oppression on the teams, right? The teams that are just being, we need to report on velocity all day and we don't know why. Velocity is important, but what are the other things that are important um, that will help the organization, help them make decisions outside of, of just the team? Where do you feel this starts? Like, how can teams, for instance, start with evidence-based management? Also, how can make how can they make this create this awareness to their surrounding areas? For instance, management, leadership, and stakeholders. Why these things are more important to check than just looking at the velocity. I mean, the velocity is might be interesting for the team itself, but to management, it's not useful. Mm-hmm. The um it, it gets back into so many different conversations. It's, it's really around that, that value piece. What are we doing that's actually valuable? What are we doing as an organization that's sustainable? Uh, my coworker, Kurt Bittner, loves to uh, make this point. And there's this, the funniest YouTube video where like they start a marathon or a race and everybody, the thing goes off and then they run in different directions, right? So it's, do you want to go fast going the right way or a little, uh, the wrong way or a little bit slower going the right way? So those are things that, that you want to you want to think about. Um, for me, I was just talking to someone yesterday and about her implementation of Nexus and Nexus Plus, right? So scaling Scrum. So they had about twenty teams for Nexuses, and one of the things that really really helped them was using evidence based management. She said it was really hard, but what it does is it's it's not even about what measures you use because those measures should change. It's about what goals are we trying to reach and what measures will support us to know that if we are progressing in a way that makes sense to us, that is that is acceptable to us when we think about, for instance, scaling, balancing the cost of that overhead that you have to manage with scale versus the value that we are actually creating to um, the, uh, the customer. So OKRs can be great unless they're used as just management by objectives. OKRs, if we think about them and forming them from an outcome perspective and then having the results be things that tell us if that outcome is still relevant is great. 
what we're looking at is at EBM is really saying, you know what, we want to think about goals and parasitism and evidence to keep that cycle going, to keep that cycle going. Um, and for teams, I think having uh, going into the the think about their sprint goals, right? That can be a tactical goal, but what are the other goals that they're working toward? And then looking at the key value areas to see, are they only isolated and thinking about, for instance, time to measure, time to market uh, metrics. When we talk about agile, agility, transformations, and all those things, that's really about our ability to pivot when we think about our capability. So, you know, having those conversations, are we able to pivot? Are we able to do those things to actually deliver more value to the customers is important. And it's a conversation that might make more sense uh, to management because, again, it goes back into how are we investing and reinvesting if we're having that conversation about value? If we understand what value is, then we know where we can, where we want to focus a little bit more. How do you feel uh, leadership comes in? What, what can leadership really do with this? Because one of the things that I, one of the hardest battles that I have is how to convince leadership, like this is going to help you drive uh, or help support the teams that you've got, uh, that you're, that you're nurturing. And how does EBM come to play in that or in the, on the leadership perspective? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways. It's, it's um, looking at their initiatives, what they really think their goals are. And are those goals just based on outputs or outcomes, I think is an interesting thing. Um, another thing that when I've worked with leadership is what are all, for instance, the measurements and metrics that you monitor? And we get them all up on the board and, and I've literally, we step back and half of those are just for babysitting there or, you know, something they're not, they're not anything that's really telling them anything. So that gets into the, what you measure talks about your mindset, right? And this notion of control, how do we start to change that? Um, so there's a lot of behavioral components, but I think even just thinking about that goals and measures and behaviors, right? Because there's this little bit, this urge of control or this little bit of how do we want to create a motivated workforce? How do we want to create people that are engaged? We can come into that conversation too. But also, again, this notion of, you know, when we think about leadership and executives who are thinking about what is it that we're trying to pursue in the market, let's have that conversation. That's unrealized value. Are we capable of doing that? Why or why not? And so there are examples where, you know, the, there's always a product. We're just going to add new stuff to this product. We're just going to add new stuff wherever, right? Let's not even talk about a product. And then we're going, why do you want to do that? Well, because customers aren't happy and employees are bored. And then you go and you can look at, well, how else, what else are you doing with your money? You can look at, you know, your different systems in different ways. And with the customer we looked at, there is actually this example where um, a manager was saying, we just need to add more features we say, hey, hey, wait a second, let's look at our ability to innovate because you're asking us to maintain more things. And what we found was that they were actually spending a lot of money maintaining old versions of their product. And then when you went through that, you calculated that it ended up being $10,000 a month that they were just maintaining old versions and wow. supporting. Now you go to an executive, well, here's a hole. Would you like to fill this hole first? And then they go, yeah. And now that, when we start to track that, affected the customer um, and employee satisfaction in a different way. They weren't happy because they weren't working on new or fun stuff. They were unhappy because of, you know, 
these other things potentially, right? But you start to monitor those things together and looking at them holistically from panoramic view, super important, I think, for management, um, super important for um, the product person and super important for the team and super important for Scrum Masters. And if I say trust, just the word trust, what does that mean to you in this context? In this context, um, there is this notion for me of safety. So like safety in the team, safety to experiment. I was, I was working with someone who was new to agile and he said, we just use OKRs, but there is, there's no, we're not allowed to really be empirical. We're not allowed to experiment. And so those things about um, safety and leadership, creating that sort of safety or a score master creating that level of safety um, is important because some, when you, when you come into a conversation going, Hey, I'm going to tell you what to measure and what your goals are and all those other things. There are a lot of people who resist that because they're not there yet. They're afraid. And that's, that's an accountability conversation too, uh, which is super interesting. Would you say then to start measuring these kinds of things when you're a bit more experienced, when you're having a, a higher level, a higher level of maturity within the team? Um, I think there's a few different ways to look at it. Uh, <laughs> it depends, but there's, there's people who say, you know what? I like to, I like to just grab one, um, one measure from each KVA or just one measure, at least from the three KVAs, uh, which would be called the key value metric. So that I can baseline what we're trying to do. And when they're scratching their head doing that, there's the other people who say, you know what, let's just get started. What are we trying to hit and how do we measure that? And can we look at these other things? You probably need to know, for instance, if you're, for instance, if there's a company that can't release maybe once every 14 months, that's probably the thing that we're going to measure and start to reduce first, right? Because there's no reason maybe even to capture that current value so much because you're not creating any value. You're creating value every 14 months and we shorten there. So in another way, you could use the key value areas as like a lens. So let me look here and take a pulse if that's healthy or not. So I think it's just, it really depends on the situation and the goal of the organization and what they're trying to do that at that point. You in the answer you mentioned for Scrum Master to create a little bit of the environment of trust and the environment of empathy. Now, it's really hard to do that being a Scrum Master if Scrum in itself is not perceived in the way that Scrum.org or the Scrum Guide itself uh, intends it, because you have this, for instance, the zombie Scrum, where Scrum Masters are limited by the organization to just focus on the teams and nothing outside outside of the, the boundaries of the team nothing exists so scrum masters can only work within the teams how can you overcome a challenge like this i think um <laughs> more coaching um <laughs> it depends that's like a leadership that's a really it's a really good conversation about leadership and there's 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 this other thing about, you know, how when you're thinking about how things succeed in the organization and how it can actually, how you can find the brilliance of scrum and agility, how it can move in pockets. Um, there's a notion to address around control. And there's a notion to, I think, talk about leadership when they, 
when they subscribe to, yes, we're doing a transformation, but they see themselves very much above this change, right? However, when it's a normal way of working, I think even with the new Scrum Guide, there's this notion of um, how the the organ, how the Scrum Master is a true leader and, you know, working on all these different things. For me, what it means is that we can look at Scrum and really see that in itself, that framework is a continuous improvement framework, right? So how EBM helps that is really to look at the events and what that means. So for instance, the Scrum events, you know, besides the retrospective, let's say all those events really focus on product value. So how are we improving, improving product value? And then organizationally, how are we improving as a team? That's in the retrospective, maybe we start to get more of a jive in the daily scrum and in some of the other things that we exist. And the um, and how do we help the organization improve? We're going to see that um, as those things continue on, right? As we start to think about the new things that we should be developing and working on. So in itself, the, the framework of Scrum, I think it's there's very much those things. And as you can start to improve how you use those mechanisms and the practices that you bring in, there will be more hopefully value delivered or success. But that I think also goes back to what you were talking about before, which is output and outcome. And for me in the EBM guide, we talk about, there's three types of measures that you can be capturing. Activity, output, outcome. The exercises is think about what you're actually measuring or tracking and do they slot mostly into activity or output? If they do, Try to find out what outcome that is for, right? It's like when you're working on a product backlog item, that's an experiment. What is that really for? What are we trying to, to learn there? And the thing is, is that means that if we can measure, if we can figure out that we are measuring things in activity, output, outcome, that's going to tell us a little bit about our goals. That means that all of our goals are activity-based or output-based, or there's a nice balance and we can understand that. And the closer we start to move to outcomes, and then um, the more motivated we are by the outcomes and the impact that they produce, I think that that will start to shift a little bit of the mindset and create a little bit more of the culture that we're looking for. Oh, that's amazing. And one of those four key value areas is ability to innovate. Why is that so important? Isn't innovation the same thing as putting in more features? <laughs> um, in the same way, that can be like what's holding you back, right? Yeah. So my capability to uh, make more things and my capability to be able to work on those things is important because, and the other thing is, is what if you make a bunch of stuff that nobody cares about as, you know, as we know from like Microsoft and Google, where they find only 30% of the things that they make actually create any value or pleasure for the customer. Um, so we can look at those things, but not, not in a, um, in a silo. And I also think one of the things that are really, is really interesting about a, a ability to innovate is to see what people and understand what people are using. It's understanding the user behavior. And then I think the, the bolder statement that I would throw in there is that employee satisfaction, we have that as a current value and current value, right? What is the, the value of your organization right now? I think that very much also goes into ability to innovate because it's your employees that help you innovate. If they're unhappy, if they don't have the knowledge and the skills um, or the tools that they need, that innovation will be probably not optimal. 
Do you feel this, to, tying this back to uh, the, the first part of this conversation, do you feel the pandemic is holding back the ability of teams to innovate their product because of the state of mental health? Um, I think, I think we should pull two things apart. So I think that, um, there's a lot of things that can, uh, be barriers and impediments for a team. And, uh, one of the things that we've learned during this pandemic is that we are able to work remotely. So it's another thing that we've, we've learned. There are some teams that have been super successful and jived super well. The teams are very small. They're really used to working together. When you're on a new team and all those things, that sense of belonging is not created, right? So that probably has been something that's been, been painful. And also I think for mental health is um, there's so many layers in there, but I think this, this, there's not really a sustainable pace because we've been locked down. There's this, there's not that distinction of when to stop, when to start, how do you finish? I have to wait for the kids to go to sleep. Then I start working again. I wake up, you know, I think there's a lot of different things that could, could, um, could, could be offsetting our innovation. And I would say that an important thing then is to think about, you know, organizations to really consider that notion of, of, of employee health and sometimes how, if that is something that comes up, how sometimes when you slow down, it helps you, it helps you speed up later. Um, and it's just thinking about, for instance, physically, when we overwork our bodies physically, you've probably reached an optimal point. You can take a break and then you will be stronger to, you know, run a race or do the next thing that you're trying to achieve. Awesome. Speaking of success, uh, when the new professional agile leadership evidence-based management course was being created, you invited me to take the exam and I flunked it by about half a percent. Um, these are so, strong words. I flunked it by half a percent. Yeah. So to yeah. me, it felt like this is not a success. So it really felt, ah, damn, yeah. just half a percent. I'd rather fail with five or 10%. So it wasn't so close than it was with half a percent. The, the half percent makes it feel to me that was more of a failure than it, mm. it would have been with 10%. But what does scrum.org do to help people is there a course is there are there videos is there do you do you knock on people's doors spreading the evangelism of ebm <laughs> yeah so so what people might not even realize is that um in our professional agile leadership um realm there is a pal ebm assessment certification and that is around ebm um and everything we've talked about here um you know those those kinds of points are in this assessment it's based on the evidence-based management guide which is like the scrum guide is free on our website there is an open assessment for people to prepare for it i know you've done all these things and um there is no shortage of information for people to just mine through um, and we have a page for people to prepare for that uh, videos, papers, all sorts of things. And we have been in the process during this pandemic, beta testing virtual classes. And so what we're looking at is a new um, one day, I would call that a seven hour, eight hour experience um, of an of a, of a interactive workshop that really frames a lot of the things that we were talking about here to help you think about as situations start to change, what key value measurements do we need to help us validate or invalidate these, these experiments? 
Um, so it's really to help with its application and the concept. So that I'm hoping we're looking at, um, you know, this we're in May 2021 now, maybe June, July. So very soon, one or two months. How can people uh, subscribe for this? How are you looking for people? Oh, really good question. I don't know. Um, <laughs> on the scrum.org site, I think there's a, a, a page for evidence-based management. And there's a page for the assessment, the PAL EVM assessment. I think there's a little um, question like, are you interested in a course? And so people can always drop something in there. Or they can contact me on LinkedIn, uh, Patricia Kong, K-O-N-G. So you can always, they can always ping me and, and uh, I'll get them to the right to the right place. Cool. I'll include the links in the show notes as well. What do you feel the value is over of doing a course rather than just doing the self-study? I mean, there are, there's an extensive list of information and, and reading material on the website of Scrum.org. Why should people do a course? Um, for any of our courses, really. So there's absolutely people who can, um, can, can just self-study, can read all the information. For me, that workshop is a place that it's the same reason why you work with a coach, but it's a place to come if you're in a public course with other people who are on that same journey and learn what they're going through, right? So that's just a class setting. For us, our classes are very experiential. They're very interactive and they're asking people to think because you can put down a framework and then it's all the other practices and the pros and the cons that you learn during that class that will help you. And in this one, what we're doing is really asking people to get touch a little bit of that leadership psychology and how does it affect different situations and then make them feel that experience and pain of what it's to say, okay, it's really hard to come up with a goal. Here's the goal. What are we going to do? Here's a situation very much like a real life situation. How do we start to, to, to figure out what success looks like here? How does this change? All these different types of things. But um, for any of our classes, it's, 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 um, it's treating it as a workshop and then being able to take that experience and apply it back uh, when they get back into the workplace or are working with a client. You mentioned this is a beta course, right? Uh, it's not an official thing yet. Um, uh, right now we're running beta courses, yeah. Yeah. Is there a difference in pricing compared to, for instance, a PSM1 or a PSM2 or any other class? Uh, I don't know. It'll probably be cheaper. <laughs> All right, that's good to know. Cool. <laughs> hey, as the last question of this show, um, if there is any book, podcast, um, YouTube video whatsoever to recommend from your side uh, when it comes to evidence-based management, what do you recommend? For a podcast? You know, or a book or a, or a blog or whatever. I think that really, again, depends on what people are looking for. Um, right now, OKRs are super hot. There's two two blogs outside of EBM. One, read the EBM guide, super important. Um, two, I think for, for blog posts, um, and this is all on the suggested reading for the EBM assessment, but people have really been excited about this notion of OKRs, and we want to make sure that that's done well. So we've talked about OKRs and EBM. I'm going to be doing a talk soon, a webinar on um, adding value to OKRs with EBM. Where can we find that webinar? Uh, you can't find it anywhere because it's not registered, but it'll be probably in July in okay. a couple months. Yeah, so we'll be looking at some real life cases and how we've changed that. 
so that will be on the scrum.org website under webcast. And then the other one um, is investing in business agility. So again, like I said, if we can start to agree on what value is, now we can start to agree on or start to think about how to invest in that value from a more um, where we're minimizing the risk, right? So we're shortening our risk cadence and the cycles that we're going through and how to really deem what's important. So that's investing for business agility. I mean, in the end, all of this EVM is about business agility. If, if, if people read through the guide and think about it, they'll go, this is what business agility is about. Awesome. I hope that's going to inspire a lot of our listeners. Patricia, thank you so much for being here. Uh, I love talking to you. I hope to speak to you soon again. Thanks. I would like to thank our guest and you, the listener, for joining us again in this episode of Mastering Agility. This podcast is part of a series, so make sure to follow us on all the platforms that we provide. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, Google Podcasts, you name it. Make sure to go to the website of agilitymasters.com to subscribe to the newsletter in order to stay up to date on the latest information. Check out the show notes and how you can engage with our guests and myself to provide feedback, ask questions, um, more general inquiries, whatever. I would love to hear from you. Next week, we have another amazing episode lined up, so make sure to tune in again. Until then, 